0: Well, good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing today? Amazing. Good. Well, we are glad you guys are here. Uh, I know we usually welcome during the music. I had unplugged my microphone, so that's on me. So, welcome to Calvary. We're glad you guys are here. Uh, Glad everyone's joining us online. I'm excited to speak this morning. We're continuing our series, Next Steps. Billy has been going through this for the last couple of weeks. This is week number four, and I'm excited about this week. It's going to be... A good one, but it's going to be a little bit different, and not just because I'm speaking, but because of where we're going in our next steps trajectory. So the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on foundational pieces of the faith, you know, theologies and understandings, things that are essential, but foundational, fundamental to who we are as Christians. But raise your hand if you're a sports fan of any kind. There you go, a few. Less than I thought. That's great. I love a diverse crowd. Um, I love football, I love football and when you watch football a lot of times you can tell who's a really really good team and who's a really really bad team and most of the time the difference between those two teams is nothing more than a lack of fundamentals in the bad team and a strength in fundamentals in the good team. Can you tackle well? Can you block well? Can you execute the play? The fundamentals are essential. So I, I don't want to downgrade what we've been talking about. It's been essential the fundamentals the foundations are basic and needed but if i told you that hey i know how to tackle someone i'm going to be an nfl star you would laugh in my face because it's not true just because i know the fundamentals doesn't mean i'm going to um, be amazing in the nfl just because i can tackle someone doesn't really mean a whole lot of anything in the nfl so we need to move from the fundamentals To that next step and that's what we're gonna be talking about today we've been in the foundations we're moving into integration that's a great big word integration today and then we'll be talking about multiplication next week so before we even get started I want to share a fun fact well it's not really that fun of a fact a lot of times people ask me Eric do you want to know a fun fact and I'll respond with afterwards oh that was fun even if it really wasn't sometimes and this is one of those not fun fun facts is that I'm lactose intolerant it's a piece of my life it's not fun it's really not fun. Uh, it's a discovery I made in college. I don't really know how I came about learning it, uh, but I know sophomore year, you know, that, that's the time period in my mind when I switched from everything's fine to no, 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 I'm lactose intolerant. I can't handle this. And, you know, I, I know there's a lot of people in our church community that have allergens and whatnot, and I would be lying to say that it really changed my life an immense amount. Nowadays, there's like 87 different types of nut milk and milk alternatives and They even have lactose-free milk ice cream. I don't know how it works, but it tastes delicious. So there's a lot of ways that I can handle my lactose intolerance because people have been doing smart things with food. I don't really know what they do, but it's not as hard as it would have been probably 20 years ago. But because of it, it has made me focus a bit more on what I eat, focus a bit more on how I make my food. I need to know is there a milk ingredient in this, otherwise... You know, that's not good news. So I've moved into cooking a bit more of my own food. Not a lot, Kayla would tell you, not a lot, but more than I did beforehand. And I really like to grill. I think I've said that a few times from the stage. I enjoy grilling. I have a charcoal grill in my backyard. And, you know, I have found that I can make a pretty good steak, maybe not by your standards, but by my own standards, I can make a pretty good steak for myself. I enjoy it. Get me a good New York strip, some tones, six pepper seasoning on the top, get that nice sear, medium in the middle. It is delicious. All right, if you don't believe me, bring a steak and I'll cook it for you. And I would love to show you. But if I had to choose between the two, if you said to me, Eric, you know what, you're not lactose intolerant anymore, congratulations. Do you want this glass of milk or do you want this, well, steak that you cooked? I would take the steak every time. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks to the church in Corinth about how he had to feed them spiritual milk because they weren't ready for the meat. Today, we're moving from the milk to the meat. We're moving from the basic teachings into the teachings that are a little bit tougher, a little bit harder to swallow. You got to chew them a bit, but they're delicious and they're necessary and they're good teachings. So I want to ask, I have a lot of questions to ask you today, so if you write notes, I would encourage you to maybe do that. If not, just pay attention, you'll be good. But my first question is, are you stagnant? Are you stagnant? I think that's a really, I I like that word, I don't like what it means, but I, I think it's an appropriate, very poignant word. When I think of something that's stagnant, I think of a pond that has no movement, there's no wind on it, it's covered in algae, it's kind of gross, there's probably flies and Bugs zooming around, it it's stagnant. You don't really want to interact with it. It's kind of gross. Is your spiritual life stagnant? There's not a lot of movement. It's pretty still, it's stale, it's the same. Do you feel like you've kind of bumped up against a wall? You're, you want to take a next step, but you haven't taken one in a long time, or you don't know what step to take, or you feel like you can't even take one. Well, today I want to I talk about that a little bit. And I want to begin by saying I think a lot of the reason why our spiritual lives stagnate or go stale or don't feel fresh anymore is because we spend 90% of our time focusing on about 10% of the Christian walk, and that's the beginning. Essential beginning, good beginning. beginning. Yeah, I accepted Jesus. I prayed that prayer. I I understand the theology of Christ. Of Christmas and the theology of Easter. I understand giving and tithing. Those are good things, but when we stop there, we become stagnant. We aren't taking any more steps. So, good things, do not discredit them. If Billy comes back and he said, Eric hated on all three of your messages, I did not. So, we're going into the next step today, and we're going to move into some meat teaching. And there's a passage in Matthew, if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew 22 where Jesus cut straight to the meat. He cut straight to the meat from the milk. Hey, we're going to get into a deep teaching. And I do believe Billy spoke on this passage a couple of weeks ago, but I want to go through it a little bit differently and parse it out in a different way that I think will be beneficial for all of us today. So if you want to follow along, Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. I'm reading the NRSV today. If you're curious why, come ask me later. If you want to follow along in your phone, if not, it'll be up on the screen Right here. So, starting in verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he, being Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. So in context, Jesus has been interacting with the religious elites, the religious leaders of his time, and they've been trying to trip him up. So it starts by saying he had silenced the Sadducees, one religious group. So the other one said, all right, our turn. And they came in, and they were trying to trip him up. And he was talking with the lawyers, people who knew the law. They understood it backwards, forwards, inside out, upside down. They know the law. And they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? So as we go through this, I'm not going to answer that question because I want to go through this backwards. I want to start at the end and work back to the beginning because I think we'll actually find a better message for us from the Lord by doing that. So I want to start in verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So these two commandments, the ones that are earlier in the passage, hang all the law and the prophets. This is an incredibly important statement. And it's at the end of the passage and usually overlooked. Okay, yeah, it's important. No, we cannot overstate how important these two commandments are. That's what we're saying. All the law and all the prophets hang on what was just said. So you're a Christian. Your holy book is the Bible, Scripture. If I said go home and read the Bible, you would know it. I'm talking about the Old Testament, the New Testament, Genesis, Revelation. In ancient Near Eastern Judaism, they didn't have the Bible like we do. That's why it's written about them. They had the law and they had the prophets. That was their holy scriptures. That was the law that the lawyer knew. And Jesus is saying, all of those things hang on what I just said. So let me illustrate this to make this a bit better. I'm going across the room. I think everyone in here knows how to drive. Bethany doesn't, but everyone else knows how to drive. She shakes her head. Except Morgan also, but yes. So... When you were learning how to drive, there was a very fundamental thing that you had to learn about driving that seemed really simple, but maybe for some, it wasn't as much. It's that the gas is on the right and the brake is on the left. Gas on the right, brake on the left. And as the youth pastor, I know some of our students who are learning how to drive are terrified by that concept because they're like, I can't get it wrong. Gas on the right as they accelerate. Brake on the left, they hit the brake. And it's really simple. You probably don't even think about it anymore. You get in the car, and you put it in driving, and you go. But if you got it wrong, there's a lot of bad things that could really happen. You're sitting at a stoplight, brake, oh, no, wrong pedal, right into another car. There's a lot of bad things that can happen if you don't understand that simple truth that the gas is on the right and the brake is on the left. What we're about to go through today is the same way. Do they seem simple? Yeah. Is this a passage that if you've been in church, you've probably heard many times? Yes. But if we don't understand what Jesus, Jesus is saying here, our spiritual lives may stop when we really want them to go, and they may go when we really want them to stop and slow down and take a look. It is that important. That important. It's essential. All the law and the prophets hang on these two things. Everything that Jesus said and did hangs on these two things. Okay? So I want to keep going. Verse 39. And a second, let's talk about commandments, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you've been in church a while, this is forget normal to you. This is something you've heard so many times. Yes, yes. Love my neighbor as myself. Yes, yes. Well, it begs me two questions to ask. Okay? How do I love my neighbor? And how do I love myself? Because if I don't know how to love myself, how am I going to love my neighbor? And if I don't love my neighbor, am I doing what Jesus is calling me to do? So there's those two questions that I want to go through over the next couple of minutes. So we're going to start with the easy one. Love yourself. Love yourself. This is a concept that is unfortunately very misunderstood. Because a lot of times when we think love yourself, we normally think something like this. Once a year, Donna and I spend a day treating ourselves. What do we treat ourselves to? Clothes. Treat yourself. Fragrances. Treat yourself. Massages. Treat yourself. Mimosas. Treat yourself. Fine leather goods. Treat yourself. It's the best day of the year. The best, best day, day of the year? <laughs> we think treat yourself like, all right, I'm going to go buy the car I want, the clothes I want, the house I want. I'm getting that job. I don't care who I step on. I'm getting it. I'm treating myself because I'm loving myself. Pastor Eric said so. It's going to be a good day. And that is not, that's not what I'm saying. But that's what we normally think. Love yourself, it's this healthy, wealthy, get money, get things. I'm going to love myself. But that's what the culture says. That's not actually the way to love yourself. And there is a real way to love yourself. It's important. And it is this. Loving yourself is really about taking care of yourself and accepting all the gifts that Jesus has given us. Allowing yourself to receive what the Lord has for you. That's how you love yourself. That's how you love yourself. Take care of yourself and receive all that God has for you. We're an evangelical church. We, we believe in giving the gospel, sharing the gospel with those who don't know it. But oddly enough, we aren't very good at receiving the gospel ourselves. I want to give love. I want to give mercy. I want to give hope. I want to give forgiveness to other people, but I don't want to receive it from the Lord myself. I don't know how to accept grace. I don't know how to live with hope. I don't know how to live in a way that is what Jesus has for me. And unfortunately, we can never love someone else if we've never been loved and accept that love for our own. You can't love your neighbor unless you know how to love yourself. And if you love yourself poorly, you're going to love others poorly because you're loving them the way you love yourself. This is something that I've been really, really learning that God has really been teaching me over the last couple of months, is how to love myself the right way, not the treat yourself way, the right way. And the other day, almost two weeks ago, I was doing something, and that song that we just sang, King of Kings, came on. And as the bridge that build happens, and by his blood and in his name, I think is the first line, and that says, in his freedom, I am free. And I heard that, and I just lost it. I am not a crier, and I cried for like 10 minutes. And I'm just in tears because for the first time, the first time in my life, I'm almost 28, I was baptized when I was six. For the first time in my life, I actually recognized what I was free from. Yeah, I'm free from sin. That's what I've been taught, and that's true. I'm not not taking that away, but that was about this much of the truth. I'm also free from perfectionism. I'm free from what the culture says I need to be. I'm free from the chains of success and climbing up some ladder. I'm free from the shame of my past. I'm free from so many other things beyond just my own sin. And so are you. And when we can accept that that's the freedom that we have, we can begin to receive things like grace. We can begin to receive things like mercy. We can begin to live in something like hope. And we can begin to love and live in God's love but we have to love ourselves first. We have to understand that freedom. We have to recognize that freedom is not just doing whatever I want to do. That's not freedom. That's chaos. Freedom is living in what the Lord has blessed me with. God is calling us from who you were to who you are into who you are going to be and who you are going to be is his perfect image of you. It's a calling. It's a lifetime of learning to love, to accept the grace, the hope, everything that the Lord has for us, for you. The other side of loving yourself is learning how to take care of yourself. I, I've talked about this also a few times over the last couple of months in that humans have limitations. Man, I would love to never have to sleep I really would. I would love just to be awake all the time. I could read so many more books and watch all the TV shows I want and have a job and have good relationships and go to school. It would be great. I don't have to sleep. I got plenty of extra time. It's like six to eight hours a day. It's like a full work day every week. But, or a full work week every week. But that's not reality. I have a limit. We have limits. So sometimes loving ourselves is recognizing that we can't try to fight against those limits. We need to let ourselves rest. Let ourselves enjoy instead of work. Let ourselves take a Sabbath instead of going seven days a week. I have to get it all done. It'll be there tomorrow. Rest today. Maybe don't lean into your limitations, but accept them and be content with them. Take care of yourself. Eat well. Spend some time not just pushing and pushing and pushing, trying to get to whatever you think you need to get to. Because God is there in the rest and the work. So take care of yourself and accept what God has for you. That's how you can love yourself. So the second part, and this is the common one, is love your neighbor. So love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. How do we love our neighbor? When we talk about loving our neighbor, Pastors usually take you to Luke, I believe, chapter 22, and the story of the Good Samaritan, which is a really common story. It's even common outside of the church, where the lawyer comes and he says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love your neighbor. And he says, okay, who's my neighbor? And instead of Jesus saying, that guy, he says this parable. And it's the story of a man who was walking on a road, got beat up, almost murdered everything was stolen and the religious elite went by and the pious man went by and the samaritan the outcast the one who was on the margins came by picked him up cleaned his wounds took him to an inn gave him a room paid the guy and says hey charge everything to my account until I get back so instead of jesus saying this is your neighbor he flipped it around on him and said you are the neighbor how do i love my neighbor by being a neighbor Not by understanding who my neighbor is and isn't, but by saying, I'm the neighbor. Everyone in front of me is who I should love. I have to be the the neighbor. So the really cool part about what Jesus did, so he taught that and then he died on the cross and then he rose and he resurrected and he took all of those good neighbors and put them together into the church. And that's us. The Church is a community. And I want to use those words almost interchangeably. A community. A community is a combination of neighbors. So it begs another question. I'm telling you so many questions this morning. What is community? What is a community? And if we can't answer that question, we can never be one. If I don't understand how to love my neighbor by being a neighbor, I'm never going to love my neighbor. And if I don't understand what a community is, I'm never going to be part of a good community. Right? It only makes sense. So as we are trying to understand a community, unfortunately, we lean into the cultural's view of what a community is. So imagine yourself right out here on Howard Street. Okay, and you're looking, you're looking here. And you look at the building and you're describing the people that are inside. You're describing us. Oh, those are the people I go to church with. Those are the people that pray to Jesus just like I do. Those are the people I volunteer with. Those are the people in my Bible study. Those are the people that are part of Calvary Church. And unfortunately, we think of community from the outside looking in. We're on the road and we're looking. That's a community. But if we do that, we're falling into the same trap that the lawyer did asking who his neighbor was. Well, who's my community? No, you are the community. We need to flip it around and say, this is the community, and then we go and love. From here, not to here. We are the community, not who is my community, you are. You are your community. And unfortunately, because we have this outside looking in mentality, the church has become anemic and weak because we only ever focus inside of our community. And the power of Christ comes from us saying, I'm the neighbor, we are the community, and we're going to go in love. That's the Jesus power that we want. That's the next step that we often want. It's not just about me and God, but it's about how my relationship with God overflows into everyone around me. How can I be a neighbor? Community is not an external thing that we internalize. Community is an internal thing that we externalize. If you haven't written anything down, I would write that. Community is not an external thing. It's an internal thing that we externalize. Just like loving your neighbor is an internal thing you send out, being a community is something inside that we go and send out. We go and live out. We go and take out from where we are. Man, if you just get that, praise God. That's that's a thing. That's big. So Jesus wants to ask you these two questions: How can I be a good neighbor? And how can we be a good community? How can I be a good neighbor? And how can we be a good community? And when we begin to ask those questions, we begin to grow. We, be, we begin to recognize our spiritual life is here. Okay, how can I be a good neighbor? Next step. How can we be a good community? Next step. And we begin to grow again. We, get, we begin to put aside that stagnation and the movement comes back and we begin to grow. and We begin to lean in closer and closer to our own flourishing. So instead of continuing to describe this to you, let me tell you a few stories about a guy that I just recently learned. So many of you know, most of you know, I'm in, I'm back in school. I'm getting my master's degree, which for the most part means I'm reading all the time. Thousands of pages a week. It's crazy sometimes. It's wonderful. If I would have thought ahead, I probably could have just bought the books and then not paid for the degree. But that's not the point, I don't think. And I could have just read and read and read. And I'm reading all the time. And a book I got blessed enough to read a week or two ago was called Tattoos on the Heart. If you're looking for a good read, that's one of them, Tattoos on the Heart. Read it. It is about this man. His name's Father Greg Boyle. He's a Jesuit priest, loves Jesus just like we do. And it talks about his own journey. So when he became a priest, he decided, I want to go. He worked in South America for a little bit with the poor there. And then he said, I want to live among the poor. And I want to work with the poor. So of all the places he could have moved, he decided to move into the poorest neighborhood in Los Angeles, And he decided to work with the urban gangs in the city. Now, I didn't know this until I read the book. In L.A., and the numbers may be a little different now, but there's about 1,500 gangs and 85,000 gang members. And that's where he decided to go. He could have lived anywhere, and he decided to go there. And after he got there, he was doing his best to help the guys and the girls that were in the gangs by... Forming some peace treaties between this and that gang and stopping fights in the middle of the night and this and that. But he realized at some point, he's like, every treaty I make, two more gangs pop up. Every fight that I stop, two more shootings happen. And he recognized he wasn't affecting the city the way he wanted to. So he decided to change his approach. He realized what these guys needed and what these girls needed. And he decided to give it to him. He started what's called Homeboy Industries. We actually had someone in the first service who's been to Homeboy, which was super cool. And the idea behind the whole thing was, hey, I want to give these guys and these girls jobs. And if they have a job, they'll get in school, they'll get out of their gang, and they'll live a new life. So in 1989, he started, and he started with a bakery and tattoo removal services. So the, they had guys who'd come in and they'd say, hey, I'm just having a really hard time getting a job, and they're covered in tattoos. And he says, well, let's start there, and you can have a job at my bakery. So in in each of these businesses he has, they are training programs. So as the guys or the girls go and they get a job, they learn how to be on time for work, how to have responsibility, how to work under a boss, how to work a full day. And the idea is that the job turns into a springboard to a non-homeboy industry job. And that started in the late 80s, I think 1989. And the book tells the story of that process and of all of the people that he met along the way. And as you read the book, if you do, it's something that is full of impeccable joy and terrible sorrow. He tells stories of a boy who'd come in and say, hey, they called him G, Greg Boyle. Hey, G, I'm done with this gang life. I I want to get a job. You got something for me. So he'd find him a job, And there's a story I'm even remembering. He started working with computers, and like three or four weeks later, someone who didn't like him saw him walking down the sidewalk, and he was gunned down. And there was immense sadness. And and Father Boyle was saying there's a lot of people who would say, well, look what happened. Why did you even do the work that you did? And we say, why do that? What's the point? But he would say, you know, that four weeks that that boy got to see himself from God's point of view, was worth everything. And he would do it again and again and again. And he decided to not just say, who is my neighbor? He decided to say, I'm going to be a neighbor and I'm going to love those who aren't loved, who are intentionally forgotten. Hey, let's push all of them here so that they can all be one place and we don't have to worry about them anymore. He went in and said, I care about you. I care about you. And he would continually say to the guys and girls who were in the gangs, You can never do enough. But it wasn't in a negative way. So you can never do enough to make me stop loving you. You can never do enough to stop me from wanting to help you. You can never do enough to change my view of who you are and take away your dignity. And he said this as these guys, they would take, ask him for money all the time and bum rides off of him and turn their back on him and say, yeah, I'll do that. And they don't show up and Every possible problem that could happen has happened. And he said, doesn't matter. You could never do enough for me to not love you. But he decided that before any of those things happened. He decided to love them before he met them. He decided, I'm going to be a neighbor before he knew who his neighbor was. And that resolve allowed him to change thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. And his story is incredible. Incredible. I would encourage you to go read his book or if you don't want to read, he has a TED Talk, there's a documentary on him. Go, go learn about him because this is a man who saw dignity where the world saw trash. You're not garbage, you're a person. Every time he saw a face, he saw God's creation. And he loved them. And he loved them well. And that kind of love isn't just from Jesus we see in his example that we can love that way too. We can be that kind of neighbor. We can be that kind of community. The stories he tells about the men and women that came alongside him to love these boys and girls, they loved without, with abandon. They loved recklessly almost these boys and girls. they throw pizza parties for getting out of juvenile hall. Things you don't think about. They would love those boys and girls because that's who Jesus called them to be. Not what he called them to do, who he called them to be. So he stopped stopped drawing a line between us and them. He said, there's just us. There's just us. And I'm going to love every single one of them. So I've got to keep going. But there's a few ways that we can lean into being a good community. A few practices. And I would encourage you not to limit yourself to a practice. I want you to lean into a posture a preference of the heart. I'm going to be this kind of person, but here's some things that we can lean into. If you put them on the screen, Elaine, that'd be great. Try turning your focus to others. Don't focus on yourself as much. Focus on someone else. That's the first step. How do I be a neighbor? Be a neighbor. Talk to your neighbor. Don't focus on you and your own time. Focus on them. Love like Jesus loved. I mean, that's a tall order, I know. But why don't we try to do it? How did Jesus love? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to try to love and live like Jesus. I'm going to love and live without boundaries, love and live without fear. I'm going to love and live in a way that gives hope to everyone. doesn't matter who they are. doesn't matter if they look like me, sound like me, believe what I believe, live the same lifestyle I live. I'm going to love them because that was the call. That is the call. You can also lean into hospitality. Invite someone into your home. Welcome them. And it takes a certain kind of vulnerability to say, hey, come in, come in. It takes another kind of vulnerability to go and be a guest. But I would encourage you to do that. Let someone else be hospitable to you. Yeah, I'm going to go and I'll have dinner at your house. That sounds great. Honor and respect someone. That one's (laughs) so simple. But just honor and respect them. That'll speak. It really will. No matter how rude they are, if you honor and respect them, that's going to speak a lot. Encouragement. Sacrifice. Man, we all want to love until it costs us something. We want to love until I have to adjust my afternoon plans or until it takes me an extra 35 or 45 minutes to get to where I'm going. Sacrifice. Live generously. This one, generosity, that's usually limited in discussion to money. And Billy's going to talk about generosity next week. But generosity, I think we limit it to money because it's easy to say, well, no, I don't have enough. It's fine. But we can live generously in so many other ways. We can be generous with our money but also with our time, generous with our prayer, generous with our power, generous with our encouragement, generous with our space, generous with everything we have. A posture of generosity is more than a couple dollars in an offering plate. I got to keep going, otherwise you're going to be here until like noon. It's almost noon. It's like 2 o'clock. You will be here until noon, I promise. Uh, In verse 37, Jesus said to him, and we're back towards the beginning, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. Love the Lord your God. Simple enough. When the lawyer asked Jesus the question, this is actually the answer he wanted to hear. This is actually... Not a new statement. This is actually a quotation from Deuteronomy 6 in a passage called the Shema, which was a core piece of the Old Testament teaching. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And in Deuteronomy, it also adds strength. And I love that because it is holistic. It's one of my favorite words. If you haven't heard it, I'm going to say it for probably the rest of my life. It's holistic. All that means is it engages every part of us. It's not just something I need to understand It's not just something I need to feel or believe. It's not just something I need to do. It engages all of us. Every part of ourselves has to engage loving the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every area of you love God. Unfortunately, this also is less common in the church. Less common than I'd like to say because there is a plague that goes through our church. It's a pretty common one. But it's a plague that believes that I never do anything wrong or make any mistakes or ever have any need. I've got it. That's the life without Jesus. I've got it. I've got enough money. I've got the job. I've got the time. I can take care of it myself. Don't worry. I'm good. You're going to question what I said. Why? I'm never wrong. And we may never say this, but a lot of us live like this. A lot of us live in a way that is mistake free it's just me that's how i am i was born this way i'm living my truth i've got it it's it's me i'm good don't worry let me do me but that's missing so much it misses so much because the truth is that when we live that way we can never grow Growth is a natural byproduct of recognizing that we are wrong, of recognizing that we make mistakes, of recognizing that we are in need. That's why we accepted Jesus in the first place, because something was missing. So why would we continue to believe, well, now I'm good. I said the prayer that one time, everything's fine. I got Jesus. And a lot of times we have way more of ourselves than we have of him. And when we decide... No, I'm going to recognize that I make mistakes. I'm going to let myself be called out and be wrong sometimes. I'm going to recognize that I have so many needs that I can't fulfill. We begin to grow. Because what sounds like a problem is actually our greatest blessing. When I recognize that I'm wrong, I've made some space and Jesus can fill it. When I recognize that I made a mistake... I've made some space and Jesus can fill it with his grace. When I recognize that I'm in need, I make a space and Jesus can fill it with himself. Until we recognize that we can be wrong sometimes, there isn't room for Jesus. There's only room for us. But when we do, steps begin to happen. Slowly but surely, step by step by step. Belief that we're never wrong is what causes stagnation. If you feel like your spiritual life is dry, maybe you should begin to admit mistakes. Maybe you should begin to recognize that you don't have everything together because none of us do. And I don't care who you read. I don't care what your college professor says. I don't know what your devotional said. I don't know what Facebook video you watched last night. Whatever they say, nobody has it all figured out. Nobody does. I've been in college for a long time, it feels like, years. And one of the biggest lessons I learned is that Nobody has everything definitively understood. Nobody. Nobody. But again, when we recognize what sounds like a weakness, if you're outside of Jesus and you're looking in, you want to have everything figured out. You don't want any questions because you have to take care of it yourself. But when we have Jesus, we can say, Lord, I don't understand any of this. And he says, that's okay. I'll take care of it. That's okay. I'll take care of you. You have my mercy. You have my grace. You have my love. You don't need all of that. You have me. And he can come and fill in the gaps that we don't understand. Fill in the gaps for every mistake we made with his grace. We can grow when we admit that we're not perfect. We can grow when we admit that we don't have it all figured out. We don't know every immediate little step. I've heard many sermons about this passage and about how to grow closer to God and how to love him with all you are. And I usually hear a generic list that's pretty similar go to church read your bible pray go to bible study don't listen to secular music don't drink don't cuss be a good person love him and some of those things are good and honestly some of those things are irrelevant because we have so much more and that's why i want to encourage you to do one thing this one thing isn't going to make or break everything this isn't the hey, 10 seconds to be a perfect Christian. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if we engage in this one thing, we will find a whole new level of our spiritual lives. And that's called examination. Our Catholic brothers and sisters, I really believe, get this. When a a lot of us Protestants, a lot of us evangelicals don't. And that's confession. Now, I don't believe that you have to confess to me as a pastor, but I do believe that we need to confess. Because when I confess, I'm actually saying, hey, I was wrong about this. Hey, I need help and grace and space here. And it's a beautiful thing because loving the Lord our God, it's not done in a moment. It's not done when I prayed the prayer. It's a journey of a lifetime, of moment after moment deciding, I'm going to love the Lord and I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to confess those mistakes and accept the grace. And when we take a posture that recognizes the need for God's love in every moment and every day, we begin to live in God's love. We begin to live in and with Jesus' sacrifice. We begin to live and with the Holy Spirit's guidance and strength. And we can live in a new life that doesn't look you know, two steps different than when we were baby Christians, but it looks immensely different living in the love that Jesus has for each and every single one of us. There's a prayer that goes with something like this. Saint Ignatius, in I believe, the first or second generation, right after the early church. Okay, so this is old. He wrote what's called the prayer of examine. And it's spelled differently. E-X-A-M-E-N. Examine. Not, not the way you would normally spell examine, examine. Ignatius's examine. And it's a prayer that is written for you to pray at the end of a day. So that you can analyze your day in a way and connect to God on it. Learn where you need to grow understand where you did well, and connect with God in that way. So if you're interested, I would encourage you, Google it. It's on plenty of sites. The school that I'm a part of, actually, Fuller, uh, they did a video series that will walk you through this prayer. So if you look up Fuller Studio Examine, you'll find that as well, and you'll be able to walk through it in video form, not just in words. But to examine oneself is to recognize I might have been wrong somewhere, I might have made a mistake, I am in need, and I need the Lord. And every time we can examine ourselves, we invite Jesus to come into our lives, and we begin to take steps. So there's a lot of potential questions you can ask. These won't be on the screen, but I would encourage you, if you want to write them down or if one of them sticks out to you, maybe write it down. These are questions to ask God, maybe to ask someone else. Maybe you need to ask God, where do I need to grow? You don't know what your next step is? Ask him. Set aside time to pray and say, God, where do I need to grow? And then take the time afterwards to sit and wait and listen for the Spirit to say, you need to grow here. You need to grow here. Maybe ask a friend, what do I need to confess? Is there any wrong that you see happening in me? Maybe ask the Spirit, what do I need to confess? What is something that I've been doing that has hurt someone and I don't, I don't even recognize it? Plenty of prayers of church fathers and mothers in history have said, Lord, forgive me for my wrongs, the ones I did on purpose and the ones I didn't even know I did. Examine yourself. Maybe ask yourself, how do I spend my time? When I was early on in college, I was in a class that was talking about some of these similar things. And they gave me a a time chart that an hour slot for every day of a week. And my professor said, take this, come back, you know, next week, all filled out, outlining how you spent your time during each day. And if you think, man, I'm very good at managing my time, do one of those and you'll change your mind immediately. In college, I'm like, I'm at class on time, I get my homework done, and as I went through, I recognized how much time I spent in school, you know, doing church things, but also how much time I spent doing my classwork, and then how much time I spent just hanging out with friends, and how much time I spent taking care of myself, and I recognized that I actually didn't spend it as well as I had wanted to. And that happened even more so when I got out of college when there was no schedule for me. Hey, live your life, Eric. So maybe write down how do you spend your time? Do you spend your time at work, hours and hours and hours, with family, watching TV, investing? Maybe if your investment with the Lord is smaller than you'd want, maybe you increase it. Say, you know what? I want to take another step. I'm going to add an hour or two to this each week. It might be beneficial. Maybe you need to ask, where do I need forgiveness? That unintentional hurt or harm. Where was I not loving? Where was I not loving? Forget where was I wrong, but where did I not love like Jesus loved? Ask, who do I need to be a neighbor to? Not who's my neighbor, but who who do I need to take my neighborliness out to? Who needs to hear it? Who needs to know it? What areas of my life need hope? Maybe there's some pieces of you, some things from your past that you've tucked away into the dark corners of your heart, of your mind, of your soul, and you're like, I don't want to touch those. And those need to be resurrected. Those need hope. They need the light of Christ on them. I'm asking where do I need hope? And when we begin to examine ourselves and begin to incorporate, we begin to integrate these pieces into our lives, we begin to live not out of, well, the Bible tells me to do this, and we begin to live from, I feel compelled to do this. I recognize the freedom Christ has given me and I want someone else to know it. I've understood the grace as I accept God's grace in his mercy and I want someone else to know that grace. It's so good, I hope they can experience it. We begin to move from, I'm doing this because the Bible says so or my pastor says so or because that's the Christian thing too. I want to live this way. We begin to live not closed-handed, but open-handed, accepting all that Christ has for us and giving it to those who we can be a neighbor and a community to. And when we examine ourselves, we connect with God and we grow closer to Him and we can receive more so we can give more. And then we can receive again and give again. And it's a beautiful cycle of love that we see exampled in Christ. So as we wrap up, I want to leave you with some questions. You may or may not have written some of the ones I just said, but these I would encourage you to ask yourself. Okay, if you didn't write anything, please do write these. Please do, or take a picture of the screen or whatever you want to do because these are ways I hope that you can go and take your next step by asking yourself, this is the doorway for you to walk through. Asking, how am I being a good neighbor? It'd be easy to hear this and just leave and say, that was a great message. It's going to be a good Sunday. But it's a different thing to say, okay, I heard something, and I'm going to ask myself this question. How am I being a good neighbor? Ask yourself, how am I contributing to being a good community? Okay, so remember, neighbor is me. How am I taking the vertical, me and God, and expanding it to my neighbors and expanding it as a community? I want to be a part of a good community. How am I contributing to that community? And this one's going to sting, but asking, where am I wrong? And being willing to accept the answer. Not just asking, where am I wrong? Nowhere. Great. Sounds good. No. Asking, where am I wrong? And having the humility to say, okay, I'm going to change that. Okay, I'm going to grow. And lastly, asking, where am I not being loving? Where am I not being loving? Because if you don't know what next step to take, that's the one. Go and love someone. I feel stale in my relationship with God. I feel dry. Go love someone. Don't spend 16 more hours in a Bible study. Don't listen to the world's best worship playlist every day, all day. Those are good things, but go love somebody. Go love someone. Be a neighbor. Because when we begin to do these things, we begin to take these questions seriously. That is when we begin to say, you know what? I'm not a baby Christian anymore. I don't need that spiritual milk. I want the steak. I want the meat. I want that good life that Christ has for me. Again, we miss the movement because we focus so much here. We need to move here. And it's tougher, I promise. But it's worth it, I promise. It's worth it. Every single bit of it. All right, let me pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your grace. Because Lord, we make more mistakes than we want to admit. We are wrong far more than we even know. And still you say you can't do enough to lose out on my grace. You say that to us. You extend your love when we never deserved it. Lord, we are grateful. Lord, I pray, Spirit, that you speak to each of us, whether you give us a question to ask or a step to take, that as we leave today, we don't leave on the same path that we had coming in. But Lord, we leave walking closer to you. That's my prayer for this people today. That we may learn to be a neighbor, that we may learn to be a community, That we may learn to love and take care of ourselves. And that we may learn to love you with every aspect of ourselves. We're thankful for you, Jesus, and the life you've blessed us with and called us to. It's in your name we pray. Amen.